A word of warning. This podcast may contain themes that some listeners might find distressing. Not always, but sometimes. However, this podcast will definitely contain strong language. Therefore, if neither of these things sound appealing, it's probably not the podcast for you then, is it? Hello and welcome back. How are you? Are you well? How's your day been? Is it a bit weird that I'm asking you questions that I won't hear the answer to and that you are likely to not be answering? Probably, but it just seems a nice conversational way to start a podcast, if also not a massive waste of time. Anyway, you're probably here to continue listening to part two of my conversation with Alex Holmes and David Chambers, where we as men talk about the patriarchy. If you want to hear the first part, I would suggest stopping this and going back to listen to episode seven, uh, which will give you more context as to why Alex, David and I are having this conversation. Part two kicks off with a more comprehensive, and I would argue accurate, definition of what the patriarchy is, compared to the definition often used by those who choose to deny the existence of the patriarchy. Again, this is all discussed in the previous episode. Right, so without taking up much more of your time, here is part two of the chat. It just dives straight into it, so uh, I hope you guys enjoy. So the other, so the other sort of uh, definition that exists for, for the patriarchy um, is a system of society or government in which men hold the power and women are largely excluded from it. And I think what I'd like to talk about is the the is power is the idea of power because for me, um, and I think what the MRA the the men's rights activists miss out on is the idea of power because quite a lot of quite a lot of arguments that I have um, with people in these kind of um, social spaces in the comment section will say things like the patriarchy doesn't exist because you can't prove its existence. It's unscientific. It doesn't, you can't tangibly touch it. There is no, um, there is no, what do they say? There is no empirical way in which to prove that the patriarchy exists. And I'm like, is there an empirical way in which to prove that white supremacy exists? Like there's no, there's no, like, there's no, there's no touchable thing that you can go up to and say that's white supremacy. You can't go and stroke white supremacy, can you? Like it's not a well. Let's <laughs> <laughs> go up to any There's a white house. Can <laughs> stroke that. Like- yeah, I mean, I mean, you, you know, I mean, if you if you if you're stroking me, you're stroking the conceptualization of white supremacy, <laughs> quite literally. Yeah, I get that. But I mean, like, there's no there's no big there's no big bubble floating that said that's white supremacy. In the same sense, there's no there's nothing. Um, that, you know, heterosexuality isn't isn't a thing that you can go and take a piece of and then absorb into yourself, and then you're all of a sudden heterosexual. Like all of these things are not tangible. We we believe they exist because we as a culture have agreed that this is what it is so you know um so i always really struggle with that when they say it's not it's not a real thing and i'm like do you understand what like do you understand what ideology and beliefs are but anyway um so i guess so i guess what i'd like to talk about really is is this idea of of how um the patriarchy is is power and um, specifically uh, ideological power. Um, and I guess how, I suppose, men's different identities um, relating to sort of like race, class, sexuality, et cetera, might intersect uh, in order to kind of, you know, disadvantage or advantage them in relation to the various different types of power they can have. Um, so power, 
in the way that we're sort of I'd like to talk about it. Um, so have you have either of you read or heard of the power threat meaning framework? No, no. Okay. So the power threat meaning framework is very briefly, it's a alternative to psychiatric diagnosis. So basically, it is something written by uh, Lucy Johnston and Mary Boyle. And it's pretty much a, it's a framework that conceptualizes psychiatric diagnosis as responses to adversities in life. So it kind of tries to shift away from the idea that everything that goes wrong with you in terms of a mental health um, perspective is not necessarily inherently something wrong with you, but is a response to, um, you know, the, the things that go on around you. And it's mostly about um, uh, whether, and I suppose the things that go wrong with you are measured in terms of power. So how much power you have in a situation, because we all have various different levels of power and, and um, also then threat and how the, um, the the power that we have and the threats that we um, experience in life, how the threats then will come together to make us feel powerless and what then happens when we feel powerless. And I suppose um, the idea is that a lot of uh, psychiatric mental health diagnoses can be conceptualized as human beings making, trying to survive threats in the only way that they can essentially is the idea of that. So um, in the book, uh, they said, so, so the book that I read is called an introduction to the power threat meaning framework. It's quite an easy read. It's not too long, um, but there's three definitions of power. So the, the, the power that they talk about is being able to obtain security and, and advantages for yourself over others, being able to influence your environment to meet your own needs over others um, and controlling resources of what others want, need or fear. And then the, within that, they also, talk, the, they also talk about this idea of ideological power, which is defined as involving the controlling of meaning, language, discourse, or of agendas. It's one of the least visible but most important forms of power because it is about our thoughts, beliefs, how we think, um, about, how we, uh, about how we think and how we feel and how we see ourselves, others in the wider world and what we take as either natural or facts. Um, so yeah, so I'd like to think about patriarchy in that kind of sense. That's so does fine. anyone, so does, <laughs> that's fine. I guess that sounds a little bit intellectual, but I suppose the, the whole point that I want to try and get across is that you can't see the patriarchy. Like it's a, it's a system of influence that you know you talked you talked about you talked alex about um the founding fathers in america in terms of the hamilton the play and stuff and how the the people who were in the room that made the decisions were of a certain set of characteristics weren't they and they made decisions based on what they thought was um again right for them at the time um did they have completely holy awful intentions probably not but they what they didn't do is regard um people who didn't look like them as equals or, or value them in any way um I but so. i guess it's that idea that they had an ideology they had a belief that mm. you know this is this is how a country should be run and this is what we will do and pretty much the whole of america uh, has been based has been built on those rules or beliefs 
yeah, it's not a tangible thing that you can hold, pick up and hold, put on a mm-hmm. table, put into a basket and say, don't come out sort of thing. But I would argue that you could, that you can point to it every single day. How can you point to it? Alex, help us. Enlighten well, us. You know, examples of the fact that I would be, <laughs> because it's all very, it's like, I would say, I had this conversation with my dad yesterday and I was like, you know what I found really strange? The fact that I could fall asleep in the back of an Uber and know that I can get home and be okay with the, and and you will see me the next morning if I come in late. My sister wouldn't even dream of doing that. That is the sort of thing that you can point to. It's the sort of thing where you can walk down the road and you see signs around sexual harassment all over the, the, the TFL. And you can you don't you can glance at it and look at it and think, oh that's interesting, and then go back to your phone or your book or your thing, and you can be pretty much left alone. But a woman would or somebody who identifies as a woman or a non-binary person would be would look at that and have questions, you know? Or the very fact that say a trans person has to question which toilet they should they would like to use Mm -hmm. because should they go into one or the other there is a potential for violence and harm against them we see these things every day but when it doesn't affect us directly we don't we don't see them until we see them and I think like it's really and I just find that and I found what you said about the power threat framework was very interesting about the the three notions of power um, and that idea of safety and I was very big on existentialism existentialism for a while (laughs) Um, and as you know Daniel and um, I and you know I always remember like all the men we were talking about the authenticity and freedoms and all this different stuff around what it means to be authentic and living your authentic self and your authentic life. And it wasn't until Simone de Beauvoir came in and said, power is part of that. And they're like, what do you mean? And then she's like, I'm a woman. There is a power system there that affects my authenticity at any given moment. Lesser known and lesser spoken of is Franz Fanon who wrote Black Skins, White Masks. And he's a French psychotherapist, uh, Martinican, so Caribbean. And he applies that same knowledge, but to then apply the power to race and the racial understanding of what it means to be black and in empire, mm-hmm. in an imperial setting. Mm-hmm. So I think, it's, I think it's a very, very valid framework um, and I think it's very interesting that women brought that brought that up and brought it to fruition and brought it, and yeah. brought it to the table because yeah. you don't see what you don't see until you until you're shown it until mm-hmm. you see it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I could stand outside Buckingham Palace and point at that 
<laughs> just like all day and just say that is <laughs> that is the embodiment of pain for me mm. and various statues and various brick walls and various buildings various books that mm. we uphold and we revere as, as students at school all of those different things we can point to them so yeah I think that is, I think we can definitely point point to them and show them and then this is this is what it this is what it is you know um, and I think and I think and I think what you point what you said there is quite interesting in the sense that so have either of you read um, Everyday Sexism by Laura Bates? Not yet, no. It's definitely yeah, on my list of things to read. So in, in, and I think this is one of the key sort of cruxes of the, the argument versus of, of whether things like the patriarchy exist or not. In the book, she says, she, and, I, and I can't quite remember the example, but it, it's something along the lines of, if if somebody went on television um, and they made a racist joke, like that would not be accepted. People would, there would be uproars, people would lose their job and all that kind of stuff. But if somebody went up there and they made a casual sexist joke, that's a lot more tolerated, almost accepted as just part of, you know, a man making a comment about a woman or making a joke. And I guess what she was saying is, is that racism is something that, or white supremacy and the consequence of racism is something that has been sort of brought to the forefront of sort of our society's knowledge as being horrific, you know, and there are, you know, obviously there are still racist people and all this kind of stuff, but racism is something that as a society generally is not accepted. But things like casual everyday sexism and um, things like misogyny and the fact that there are signs on the TFL tube station saying, you know, look out for the fact that there's sexual, sexual people committing sexual assaults around. Um, there aren't signs saying, look out for the racist old man over there who's going to say horrific um, things to you, are there? Because that's just not something that will happen. But we live in a society where there is still such disparity between the, the, the well, the two binary genders for one, but then also all the, all the, all the, um, uh, the genders in between, that it's so ingrained in our society that we can't, we almost can't see the fact that the patriarchy exists because we are blind to it because it forms, it forms more of our social, cultural structure that we just don't know it's there, and we just don't know it's there. So, so, the, and the reason I mentioned that is because you mentioned Alex that you can go to Buckingham Palace and you can point out colonialism, and you can go to um, a statue and you can point out somebody that's you know, was, is revered as a hero of, you know, the, the, the British empire, but, but also, you know, owned loads of slaves and things like that. You can go and point, you can't point to a massive sexist misogynist because they don't, we haven't, we haven't denigrated that type of behavior enough in society to actually go, you know, this is horrific. And this is part of our society that we no longer accept. Does that make sense? So yeah. It's, it's so, 
I think the reason why people deny it is because it is so ingrained in our society that they just go, well, it can't, it can't. If it was that bad, somebody would have said something about it. And you're like, women are talking about it, mate. What are you talking about? Like they are saying that it's bad and you're saying that it's not. Sorry, it's just David, normal. It's, it's just normal. normal. Yeah. It it's is. the normal world, right? It's the normal accepted yeah. reality by the masses. Well, the, the men that create the narrative in our reality in our media and so forth it's like this is how it is so it's just normal it's like a really little example of this is what i me and my partner also what we do is we have a joint bank account right for paying for stuff and when we're out she always uses her card right so when we go to places we put we put the card down on the bill and the number of times that they put the card in and then they hand the card machine to me. And this is in like the UK, I've had this. This has happened now, I'm living in Portugal. And I kind of giggle because I was like, I just say, no, no, it's hers. And I love to have the experience of, I sit and wonder sometimes. Like, I wonder what this waiter thinks that she's sitting with me and she's paying for the bill. I wonder if they think, oh, this is a joint account or they think, oh, this woman is paying for this man. Like I really sit and wonder about this sometimes. Like, what does he think about me as a man in this moment of this happening? Like just, but it's these tiny little things that are just really normal to us, like in society that I kind of like chip away. It's like one of the things that Alex was saying was around um, evidence of the patriarchy is like, I have this deep fear of police. If I see a police car in London, I'm like, just stand here. Like I ain't doing nothing, even though I wasn't doing nothing anyway because I've been stopped and searched a number of times in my life, right? Like that is an environment that I feel I don't have any control over. If the police jump out the cars and they want to stop me and ask me some questions, I have no control. My powers disappeared in that moment. It's like, oh, these are the police and they just do what the fuck they want, which we continually see evidence of, you know, and as my mum said um, a little while ago, um, after what happened to Sarah Everard, she was just like, black people have been trying to tell you, you can't trust the police. And now, you want to listen. <laughs> and Black now women, you want to... I've been saying a lot of this stuff as well, so... So, it's like, it's so ingrained in our society in the little workings of it that, like, the patriarchy is there that, especially as, as men, it's hard for us to see because it's just normal. It's like, you know, going to Tesco's and seeing cake. It's just part of the, the normal day-to-day -day furniture. And it's sometimes, it's only when we maybe we extract ourselves into a different reality, maybe, you know, a different world. And that different reality could be reading a book, that could be watching a TV program, that some of these things start to be highlighted, or that different reality could be speaking to a woman you know and listening to her experience very deeply. Because it then brings us back into our normal reality with this new information, which we can now look at the world in a slightly different way. And that allows us to start to see these power structures at play and how these little things affect our day-to-day our -day life and how... I don't need to really worry about safety most of the time, you know. Like I spoke to a friend of mine the other night, actually, and he's making a short movie all about this. And I, I can't really say his idea, but his idea is really beautiful in the way he's going to highlight, like, a woman running at night. But when we talked about it as two men, we were just... And we said, we were like, man, I don't even... I don't run at night, but I wouldn't really think too much about running at night, yeah. to be honest. And he's like, his female friends were like, I would never run at night. Like, that's just something I would never do because of X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And I think it's this kind of like knowledge for instance and inf like around powers like resources you know men 
are maybe they're thinking about resources but we don't go to work thinking i might be discriminated against because of my gender i might not get this promotion because i'm married and i don't have any children and my boss is thinking that i'm going to have kids yeah like i've worked in a place many years ago where one of the managers were like i'm not hiring any more women who have childbearing age because they keep getting they keep getting pregnant and going on maternity leave and this was a number this was a long time ago this is very early yeah former career mm-hmm. and i haven't heard anything like that said out loud but the truth is just because it's not being said out loud anymore doesn't mean it's not being said internally or, about people's or, heads or, or, or being held upon. in mind yeah no absolutely and i think and i think the whole idea of 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 what it's of what ideological power is is that it's it frames the way in which we we see things. It frames the way in which we understand things. It it, infl- it informs our our biases, um, and it informs uh, and and based on those biases, informs our assumptions about things. Informs our um, things that we feel that we can and can't do. And so, obviously, as men in a society, and I guess this is obviously intersectional because you know, um, you know, as a white man, I probably. So you, you, David, you, you said that, um, you know, if you see a, p- a police car uh, driving past, you immediately just stand still and just pretend like you're not doing anything. I've never had that experience because I, you know, I fit the, the mold um, of the sort of the, the patriarchal ideal because, you know, it's, you know, say that again. You fit the mold of innocence. Yeah, I, exactly. I'm 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 not a, a potentially potentially uh, dangerous, violent black person that's going to do something because you know I'm a white person. Even given the fact that I probably could uh, c- commit as much violence as any other person, regardless of their skin color. Um, but and and I guess that's what the patriarchy is. It's it's the <clears throat> it's the ideals that have been fed down from the top um, into into society that just inform how we view things and how we see things and how we make decisions and whether we feel that we are capable of or allowed to do something or whether we have the freedom or the power or opportunity to do something or whether actually because of what we look like, because of the gender that we are, because of the skin color that we we have, whether we are liable to experience more threat than somebody that doesn't have all those particular characteristics. Um, I was going to say something about i can't remember what it was now oh i've lost it um sorry alex you're gonna say something Uh, i do find it i just i do find it really interesting um just kind of where we where we get to when we start to speak about all of these things because for me i think about how how just just how inequitable everything is Mm. And I think about how I feel like naturally, wouldn't we just want to make things equitable? Mm. You know, like we, you know, you said you spoke, we started off this conversation and said, oh, men is like, oh, yeah, the, like, the, the patriarchy doesn't, doesn't exist, you know, men's rights with regards to their kids and, you know, domestic abuse cases and all this different stuff. So, why, so where's the conversation? Where's that? action where's that and with what you said about laura bates's book that bit that you mentioned about it and about the everyday sexism situation a lot of men aren't calling it out Mm. and because a lot of men aren't calling it out it then becomes 
normal. I suppose why are men not calling it as is the question. Exactly. And that's the patriarchy. Because you do not want to be the one who is not conforming mm-hmm. to the thing. Because what that then does is that then makes you the black sheep. It then makes you um, disadvantaged with regards to mm-hmm. opportunities coming next. You get left out. You get pushed. There was I don't know if I've spoke to you about this, Daniel, but there was this example that somebody made that someone told me. Um, their husband was a part of a um, a group chat, and in that group chat, there was a man. Um, there was a man who they were, they were they were kind of making some real sexist jokes, some real kind of like gross grotesque jokes around about women and whatnot. Um, and then he, her husband, went in and said, "Guys, like, and these are all friends from like university and they're all rugby lads or whatever. Um, but they're all like doctors and lawyers and tech people now, and you know." Um, and then he went in and said, "Lads, are we? Why are we talking about this stuff? Is this the space to be talking about this? Can we? I appreciate if we didn't speak about." these things mm. it, the group chat went silent and he was wondering okay why is like no one's spoken for like two three four mm. days this is very wild like this is a very active group chat why is no one spoken only to find out like a week later that they made a diff- a separate group chat mm. where they continued the same conversations just without him wow knowing without him doing mm. this stuff and when and this is and this is what and this is why when I see things like when people when there's people on Twitter that are like oh, men and their group chats, yeah, what are they actually saying? What are they actually doing? Are they just trying to be misogynist in private? Or there's this whole question about men and podcasts, ironically, about mm. us being able, like you know, what I mean, men, but it's like the kind of men that go into podcasts and talk about should women pay on the first date? What would you yeah. do? What reactions would X, <laughs> Y, and Z? You know what I mean? Like, 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 and the, the real deep, meaningful conversations about The deep, about meaningful life. conversations about that. And it's just like, what is happening here is that a lot of men are, con- are perpetuating the conversations because they do not want to be ostracized no. for what they feel. And I just, and that's when I, that's where I go back to what I said about the whole grow up situation. But that's what we're here, that's what we're here for. Mm-hmm. working in the fields that we work in to be able to empower and this is why I think it's important that we hold the compassion because we can't expect people from the margins and other areas of the margins to hold that compassion for people that absolutely I mean yeah I'm impressed in many different ways in regards to this society and the way that people operate and navigate I have made a decision to hold compassion for the people that need to that I work with and want to change, I want to see a difference in mm-hmm. while knowing why these things happen and this and our condition and what we're, and where we're at right now. But I don't expect I don't expect women to hold that compassion. No. I, don't, I don't I just I don't expect anybody else to hold that compassion, you know? And, but and I so think I think you've got to work towards these things. It's not everybody that can do it. And I think a note on compassion, because I feel like I think compassion should be had. And I think I, I, because I, I, because I guess I want to clarify for the listener about what I understand compassion to be, because I think compassion is about holding empathy for somebody. And I think about sort of understanding where they come from and the experiences that they've had and that may sort of shape the bay, you know, the way in which they um, are, but compassion is also about boundaries and accountability. So there is there is a 
there is one side of compassion, which is about sort of saying, yes, I understand this is where you are, but also at the same time, this is how things need to be different. Because if you're not holding boundaries for people and you're not holding people accountable for their actions, then actually you're not being compassionate because then you're just letting people run riot with their harmful ways of thinking, being, and, and doing all this kind of stuff. So, um, which is, which is pr primarily my sort of aim for what I'm wanting to do. It's, it's about that sort of compassionate accountability in the sense that, you know, I don't think that all men are inherently awful. I don't because, you know, I know, I know men do horrible things and I'm not trying to take away from that, but at the same time, I know that men are also at the same time, not doing enough to stop the awful men from doing the horrible things. And I feel like that this is the, this is the crux of the issue is that there are not enough men who are having the conversations that need to have be uh, the, the there are not enough men who are having the conversations that need to be had um one because they're scared but also the other thing is that they may not know that they need to have those conversations like you you know us three are aware of the fact that we need to sort of you know challenge those conversations we need to start challenging the gender norms we need to start challenging the idea that the patriarchy doesn't exist and sort of take these conversations to people within our social circles throughout our platforms and all that kind of stuff um because people need to be made aware, specifically men in this issue, people need to be made aware that, the, that those conversations need to happen. Because if they don't know that they should have those conversations or that it's possible to have those conversations or that there are actually people like ourselves who are having these conversations that are actually accepting of people wanting to challenge the societal um, boxes that we're in, they're never going to know, are they? And they're probably never going to do it as well. If they don't know that they can david yeah it's also because i've had this i've had a lot of little conversations with friends of mine like guys i know like one-to-one -one quite often where they, there's a comment that's made and i'm like dude that's not cool man like that's not that's that's not on and then you kind of explain it and it can actually be a really tiring conversation right mm -hmm. it's because people are like, oh, I was only joking. You get the usual, you know, oh, I was only joking. I'm not banter, serious, you know. I'm like, like, oh, why are you being so serious? Like, you know, this isn't, I've had it. People are like, this isn't your podcast. Like, <laughs> this isn't your podcast. Like, like, I'm just, you know, we're just chilling. And I, and I go into it. So I say, yeah, but you perpetuate this idea. And like, you say this, you say this to some other person, they pick it up. Like, you have a kid one day and your son starts believing these things about women. And it's like, that's not useful to women. It's not useful to your wife. It's not useful to your future daughters. And that conversation might take 20 minutes <laughs> with someone I know and leaves them. And this is what's really difficult, right? Is, and I'm not saying it's difficult, so you shouldn't do it. I'm just saying, I'm highlighting what it is, is that they're left with like shame they're left now feeling ashamed of expressing themselves in a way that you know you've kind of quote unquote told them off and it's difficult to have the conversation in a way that doesn't it leaves someone enlightened and enlivened as well so they've taken on the information they're like oh yeah like thank you i'm grateful and i'm going to move forward with that instead of leaving them in a way that's like ah uh, well fuck you i don't want to talk to you no more kind of a bit like yeah. that the, the group of um fathers and it's funny you say the group of fathers because I had a client not too long ago and he had exactly the same thing. He was like to me, what do I do with this group? Do I leave and just remove myself from this because I don't want to be party to this? Or do I say mm -hmm. something and then risk being berated by every man in the group? Mm -hmm. And that's a big concern for men, you know, is that like, mm -hmm. if I speak up 
am I going to be shouted down or am I going to be the one who everyone points a finger at and I'm the black sheep and they just take the piss out of me? Mm. And it's finding ways to have these sorts of conversations in groups where you can, you know, or mm. the, what's the phrase they use? It's like, it's a bit like what the suffragettes did is what do they do? They've approached men they believed could be open to the idea of, of their cause. They didn't mm. fuck around with the men who they knew wouldn't listen to them. Yeah, so yeah. it's almost a bit like that. It's like first yeah. the people, you know, are open, you know, yeah. and I guess this is what this sort of conversation is. It's like, okay, who in this group of five people is likely to kind of give me a bit of airtime about that comment that was made yeah. and say, Hey John, like, how did you feel about that thing? So-and-so just said, and John might go, yeah, I'm not really cool about that. It's like, okay, cool. Yeah. I was feeling the same way. Like, what could we, what could we do? Or mm-hmm. maybe if we both go back into that group and say, Hey, like, it wasn't like, don't say that sort of thing. It's not mm-hmm. cool. When two of you step forward, but it's like looking for who's in your life, who, who may just be a little bit open to it, you know, or maybe yeah. you've got a group of friends. Like I know I've had, I can remember a little while ago I was in a group of five guys and someone said something and I really just said, look, man, that's not cool. And everyone went silent and let me have the com- me and him have the conversation. And afterwards, two, three of them came up to me and said, oh, Dave, I'm really glad you said that. Like I was really thinking that same thing too, but it is a very, it can feel daunting, but obviously it's not as daunting as being a woman, for instance. It's just, you know, in that, in that moment, but it's still, we have to acknowledge that it does take something and we are asking something of men to do this, but we also believe that it's not beyond you as a courageous man, yeah. courageous human being. And I suppose, so you've touched on two things there that I want to pick up on. So the idea of shame. So obviously, you know, shame is, so shame if left un, un sort of tethered and, and just bouncing around is, is obviously unhelpful because people will then internalize that shame. And then in order to try and get rid of that shame, they will try and they will either you know, think of themselves as awful and critical, or they will then try and redirect that because obviously shame is not a really nice emotion, will that they want to get rid of it. But I suppose, um, uh, how do I want to say this? Shame's not great, but it also serves a function at the same time. Mm. Like, you know, in order for us to feel guilty about something, we kind of also have to have like a little smidgen of shame because I guess the whole the whole point of feeling guilty is to know that you've done something wrong at the same time. And the only way that we know that we've done something wrong is if somebody tells us and shame is essentially um, a disconnection between um, what we think the rules are or how something is versus what the feedback that we get from, you know, the, the outside world. And we go, oh, that information doesn't match up and shit, I feel horrible. Um, so I'm not saying that people should be shamed, but at the same time, I think shame is not a bad thing for somebody to feel if you then sort of correct them. Is it because did you share something about by Brene Brown where she talks about shame, Alex? So she says the exact same thing, doesn't she? So she says, so she says, shaming someone is awful. You should never shame someone because if you're shaming someone, you're saying that they're a horrible person and that's not what you want to do, but also feeling shame is also not your problem like if you say something if you say something to somebody and you correct them and they feel shame that's kind of not really it's not not your problem and you should obviously try and reduce the amount that you sort of shame someone if somebody feels shame about doing something wrong like you know you can't really do anything about that exactly yes yeah it's the whole point point of accountability um but then what is even more beneficial what would hopefully be beneficial is to try and is to try and provide 
the the person that you're talking to with ways in which to I guess do better in order to do different to, to do things differently so that they are actually doing something about that shame so that they're actually then alleviating the guilt that is mm. is tied to whatever you're talking about um I, I always jokingly say bullying works <laughs> yeah <laughs> jokingly because bullying is obviously bad. jokingly because we don't want to talk about chronic systemic bullying or anything no, like that but no. yeah but i get but i guess but, you know the, you know like don't do that yeah, or I'm, I'm really, I'm really, yeah, I'm really the... interested as to why you did that. What was yeah. that about? Yeah. yeah, or like you know, utilize. I, I was doing a lot of research on sarcasm, um, and this, how it's used, and sometimes it's used, and it's it is it can be used to coerce behavior. Yeah, yeah. And um, in 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 DBT, there's a, a skill called irreverence. Mm. So when you're really irreverent with somebody and it's kind of, it's used to kind of like shock them into like, if you're in a stuck position and somebody is thinking something one really stuckly, mm. um, stuckly is not a word, but you know what I mean? And you can use, <laughs> you can use irreverence to kind of shock them. And, you know, you can almost be like, well, you know, if we, if, if we keep carrying on like this, we're going to be stuck here doing the same thing forever. So one of us needs to change our mind, you know, that kind of thing where you can kind of be a little bit sort of blunt with somebody. Um, and then the other thing you mentioned is the is the idea of oh where you said that um, you had a conversation with somebody in and amongst a group of like five lads and then afterwards three of them came up to you and sort of had that conversation. So in the book, is it called Humankind by Rutger Bregman? Yeah, he talks about the phenomenon of um, the the idea that people are people essentially don't ever step in to help because they're bad people or whatever. So there's, there's the idea that no one will ever come and help you because people just don't really give a shit and they don't want to ever step in and do the right thing because we're all essentially bad. But what he was saying or what he, he sort of finds out in the book is that actually the reason why people don't ever do the right thing is because they just naturally assume that somebody else is going to do it because we have a, we have a, a, a more innate belief that uh, somebody else will do the right thing. But then the only problem is, <laughs> is that everyone else thinks that somebody else is going to do the right thing and nothing ever gets done. So actually what it needs is for somebody to be the person to do the right thing. And in that situation, that was you, David. Um, and then what you'll normally find is that once one person does the right thing, people will be like, oh, and then that's when they'll all sort of... Um, jump in and 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 help a situation i think he talked about it in the context of somebody of, of a woman who was murdered i think it was in new york or something like that um and she was it's quite horrible it's quite a horrible story but she was murdered and you and people could hear her screaming like in the hallway but no one no one went to help and the 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 previous psychological assumption was that people just didn't give a shit about somebody else being um killed but then i think upon further research it found out that just everyone in the buildings around them just naturally assumed that somebody else had called 911 um but then the point being that um somebody has to go and do something and, and that's what you were doing in that situation alex what um ivan ivan jablonka um a historian a french historian who studies masculinity and whatnot and he wrote this book called the history of masculinity but he argues that we just need a male ethic. We just need a male ethic, a, a completely new way of approaching masculinity and being men in these spaces. And that, and it just speaks to what you both just said. It speaks to 
because what it what it tends to be is that we we speak out about these things and we have these conversations we can build these like as individuals we will go and have these conversations but we have but we've in having these conversations we found each other in a way and we mm. and we kind of pull together as a, as a as a unit as a community and um and that's okay but it's quite uh, it's quite lonely at times mm. and i think and as men we have been conditioned that if you're going to go out on it go on it uh, on a, go out on it alone and if you're in the group chat and it's said and you say it and it, and it's awkward and it's wrong you're going to do it you're by yourself if you're you know if you're in your room and then you hear or and you hear things happening outside and you and you go outside to make it make it stop you're by yourself anything can happen to you if you, you know what I mean you're alone in this in this thing the way I'm looking at it and I'm thinking to myself that we need to create this idea of this male ethics so that we are no longer alone in doing this so that we so we are reimagining what it means to be men mm. in this in this space from all walks of life so that if we do see an injustice happening across gender, racial, sexuality, ability lines, class lines, whatever, we can step in and say, nah, we ain't tolerating that. Because mm. as men, we don't want to see that. That's not what we want to happen. And um, when we say that, so when we're approaching this next, when we're approaching this, this is kind of where I'm thinking we need to go next because we can't do these things by ourselves because as you as we mentioned men are the men are killing men mm. <laughs> and that's when the bodies are just so disregarded they just it just you know they just kind of like kill kill men and then that's it and i think that you know we want to we need to be thinking along the lines of community and connection and collect and collectivism and I think that just for so long, our natures of, of, as men have been to be the lone wolf, have been to be the person that goes at it alone and, um, you know, doesn't have really have much backing or community or support. Or even, And when I, say, when I say that, it doesn't even mean physical support. It's like the emotional support to be able to just rest your head, <laughs> you know, just to be able to be supported in that space. So, yeah. Um a male ethic yeah that sounds sounds like something that would be really valued and helpful in society mm. um i suppose the the final thing i want to just talk about is i guess so you talked about how alex how there it's it's although the patriarchy is not something tangible that can be touched you can point to the evidence and i suppose i wanted to talk about some of the evidence that exists particularly around so obviously at the very start we talked about some of the ways in which um, men are disenfranchised and how um, certain things impact them and, and all that kind of stuff. But I suppose I wanted to talk to some of the evidence that you can point to um, that's a little bit more tangible, but that highlights the idea that um, the patriarchy is, is, has these sort of tendril-like um, influences throughout society. So one of the things to talk about, so when we're talking about kind of like the top-down influences, um, I was fortunate enough, fortunate enough to be gifted um, Laura Bates' most recent book uh, called Fix the System, Not the Woman. Um, 
and in that she talks about she talks about a lot of the ways in which the patriarchy impacts on women but she talks about one of the ways in which she talks about from like a top-down perspective is sort of in politics and there was a I, I didn't I think I knew it but I didn't necessarily know the the statistics but sort of in parliament three quarters of the sort of is it house of house of lords so 75 percent of the house of lords are men white men from eden or like not necessarily eden but from there and i suppose like what what do we think that they're going to say when they make laws like who who's who's best vested interests are they more than likely going to have in mind when they make bills and policies and stuff like that their own them their <laughs> own their friends their family people that they know right it's it's exactly. this whole thing is that we can only kind of think about ourselves and the people around us and we generally yeah. surround ourselves with people just like us who look like yeah. us like i did this training when i was working my corporate career and some of the questions that were going out to the senior leadership teams was like how many of your friends are not the same color as you? How many of your friends are not the same gender as you? How many of your friends were born in a different country? Like, and these questions being asked to this group, and it was a mixed group of men and women, but this was all around, you know, post um, George Floyd, and they were just, afterwards, people were just like gobsmacked at their own circles, like, oh, wow, my circle is basically a clone of me, right? Yeah. And if you imagine that these 75% of men old white men sitting there like how can they understand do they really take the time to understand issues outside of themselves do they really take the time to like think about people that are not like them it's, and also the certain point is almost like i can understand i can understand it just don't mistake understanding for agreement because a lot of right. people like to come at me about that but it's like yeah and this is where kind of representation starts to matter and like mm -hmm. just having people from a vast array of society that are involved in a system of you know governance that actually mm -hmm. affects those people would at least give people like a voice to speak and I'm reminded of I was watching this uh, Netflix show what is it? it's about pleasure I can't remember what it's called but I was watching an episode of it and one of the women on there was saying she's a scientist and they were trying to develop Viagra for women, mm -hmm. right? And she says, when she walked into the lab, the lab, right, of, you know, she goes, she looked around and it was all white men apart from her. And she was like, they had thrown tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars at this project for Viagra for women. And she was like, I could have told them they were going to fail, right? Because for, from a physical, like, point of view, she was like, I learned. What are they the, going to know? What are they going to know about? But women's bodies in terms of developing yeah. Viagra for women. Exactly. And she was just like, but this whole room was just full of men and no one had thought to say, wait a minute, maybe we should, you know, speak to some women about yeah. their experience and what the, yeah. some female scientists to talk about this. And it's the same kind of thing we experience in politics and even in, you know, ideological power where the media for, you know, the control of media and information, right? Who's controlling the media of information, the media and information? Exactly. mates of those 70 those 75 percent 75 mirror you know who's, yeah, who's like, in charge who's in charge of the daily mail and, and the mirror and you know all of those all of those newspapers that spout all the 
oh god i can't even bear to sort of think about those newspapers but yeah absolutely like you know they're the gatekeepers of the information that um is being fed to the the wider populace aren't they they're not speaking for they're not speaking for the minority groups they're not sort of they don't have the minority groups um interests at heart they certainly don't have women's best interests at heart i don't know if you follow jamila jamil on on social media but she has a lot to say about um the portrayals of women in especially sort of the uh, newspapers like um daily mail and the and the mirror and things like that they are not friendly to women they do not treat they do not hold women in in it with any kind of like regard i used to, I used to work at the daily mail and um, mm-hmm. it's very much to it's the their readership is women so it's very interesting. really they're, that's yep. their largest that's their largest readership and that's what and that's who they cater for which is why which is why they write what they write and it's like so it's very much whereas the telegraph for example their largest readership is men so you're going to get a very specific conversation um there too yeah um I had a point that I was going to make with regards to what David said, but it's just completely slipped out of my mind. Um, um, while while you think of that, I'm going to read you some. So, um, David, what you were saying about uh, the woman wanting to develop um, Viagra oh, for, for, right. for, for, <laughs> for women, it ties in very nicely to what to, to, to a section that I wanted to sort of move on to. Have either of you read or heard of the book called Invisible Women? Nope. So Invisible Women is, is a book that's written by, um, I'll find her name now, Caroline Criado Perez. And it's basically a book that looks at all the data in the world um, about how essentially it's a man's world and women are fucked over because, because of this. And I think this kind of speaks to um, this, this whole ideological power of, of patriarchy. So... I haven't got the book because I listened to it on audio. I listened to it on audiobook. Um, but my intention is to now buy the book because it's just chock full of these amazing facts. Um, and I say amazing, I mean like really awful facts uh, about how women are disadvantaged because of, of the ideas of men. So women are 47% more likely to be seriously injured in a car crash and 17 more percent, 17% more likely to die in a car crash uh, than men. So passenger seats... Uh, the passenger seat is the only seat that is commonly tested with a female crash test dummy, uh, with the male crash test dummy still being the standard dummy for the driver's seat. So because of that, um, the male crash test dummy's uh, legs are obviously far longer because you know men are bigger than women. Um, so therefore, women have to sit far closer to the steering wheel than they should. So when they have a car accident, they're a lot closer to like the steering wheel and things like that. Um, and also the, um, I think the um, seat belts aren't necessarily positioned uh, for women's bodies because so therefore um, they're not, they're not as safe as they could be um, for women. So, and that's because they just design um, that they test cars with male bodies apart from the fact that because apparently only women can sit in the passenger seats they don't drive cars they only sit in the passenger seat according to these people who test the cars I've heard uh, about this, yeah um women are 50 percent more likely to be misdiagnosed with a heart attack how bad is that 
So women often don't have the Hollywood heart attack, as it's known in medical circles. Women, particularly young women, may in fact present without any chest pain at all, but rather with stomach pain, breathlessness, nausea, and fatigue. Uh, so because they don't present with um, the heart attack in the same way that men present with, with heart attacks, they're um, less likely to be diagnosed with, with heart attacks. 75% of unpaid work is done by women. Women spend between three and six hours per day on unpaid work. Men spend 30 minutes to two hours. Um, what are they? Women make up only 24% of people heard, read, or seen in newspapers or in television on radio or on, on the radio. Uh, female police officers wear stab vests that are designed on the male physique. So obviously smaller stature women are going to be wearing really big bulky um, stab vests which obviously if they're not fitted to the body are just going to leave gaps where people where they can actually be stabbed which is just unhelpful google home or like an alexa <laughs> say that again is that unhelpful it's unsafe <laughs> unsafe absolutely unsafe uh google home is 70 percent more likely to recognize male speech because that's how they designed like the, like the, the Google Home um, radio speaker. This is amazing. Male actors spend 100% more time on screen in films than females. So they have 100% more screen time. Women in the UK are 53% more stressed than men at work. Absolutely. Wow. Because obviously they've got to think about childcare. They've got to think about getting to... Uh, to and from work to drop off the kids before and after before and after uh, school things like that they got to think about probably what they're going to make for um, the you know the family when they get home they probably more likely are to get the phone calls from the schools if the kids had a knock or a scrape or anything like that or if they need to come in and have a conversation um, and my most amazing one my most amazing fact from this book and I talked about this on my on on I was a guest on the Not All Men podcast with Callum Stronach the other day, um, and I talked about this fact. And so you may have heard it, but if you haven't, um, do you know why women take longer to go to the toilet than men? I feel like this sounds like a in what question? In what sense? In what sense? So so as in like as in like so it's it's you know. When, when women, so when you're in a nightclub or when you're in a restaurant and it's quite busy and a woman says, you know, I'm just going to pop to the loo, you kind of know that they're going to be a while, don't you? Whereas yeah, if your mate cubicles. goes, if you're, exactly. And do you know yeah. why there's less cubicles? No. So the reason why there's less cubicles is because generally buildings are designed by men. And when they allocate floor space to toilets, they allocate the exact same amount of space but you can fit a lot more urinals in the space for the men's toilet and a lot less um, cubicles in the women's space. So, you know, in a men's toilet, you'll just have like a trough where men can just go and do, you know, ha have a wee and do what they need to do. Whereas women, and you can probably fit like 10 men in there at a time, whereas women can probably fit only like three or four. And that's the reason why women take longer to go to the toilet is because men just go, well, you put this amount of floor space for a toilet there and you put this amount of floor space for a toilet there for women without factoring in the fact that you probably need more floor space for a women's toilet in order to accommodate the same amount of people going to the toilet at the same time. Mm. Abolish just, it. 
It's just bonkers, Bullshit. isn't it? Burn it. Burn it all. Burn it all. I can't do it. I can't. Like I just, I get to this point where I'm just thinking to myself. At this point, it's just poor planning now, and it's just, just blatant. You know, like if we talk about committees and we talk about councils, just literally, just like diversify those things. Exactly. Like everybody who benefits. Like have 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 somebody involved in the conversation that isn't a man that needs to kind of do this. It's as simple as that, isn't it? But collaboration. Exactly. That's all it takes. It's such, and I, and I guess this is the this is the point about how, you know, and I suppose on my podcast I generally try and you know not generally try, but I generally talk about the side of the the darker side of things. And this is not to take away from the fact that obviously the the patriarchy and its influence has a significantly harmful effect on women, in terms of like violence and sexual violence and stuff. But these kind of things are also just everyday stuff that women have to put up with, that men don't have to deal with because everything was designed with us in mind. Like you pretty, so again, going back to what you were saying about how to, um, the women wanted to, you know, there was the idea about having um, Viagra for women. Just ask a fucking group of women to do it. Like, is it that fucking hard to say, you know, 10 women in a lab make us something. No, but they've got to have 10 men involved. Why? What do they know? It's um no one fool about it, is it? It's a lack of thinking. Like even the, the and, it, and it's right? and the lack of thinking comes from the fact that everything is strategically thought of as male. Like male is the default, isn't it? So yeah, yeah. It's just like even the planning for the toilets, you think about it, like even if a woman was planning that building she might not think about it because she has been taught how to plan a certain way (laughs) exactly yeah so when she went to architectural school or whatever they said you know when you do the toilets this is probably the general the general amount of space because she was probably taught by a a male architectural professor or whatever the curriculum was probably set up by 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 men and all that kind of stuff it just filters down doesn't it it's it's eons long from, history from, yeah from the way that we build from the way that buildings are built and designed to the way that you said the seat belts are designed in a car it's it, it just it just it makes me feel really sad if i'm going to be honest with you because you walk around and the whole place is a trigger warning like if you are from the margins the whole place is a trigger warning like you walk around there's something that's going to remind you of your otherness yeah and you know what i mean but then you're reminded of these things so often that it just becomes normal and then your body desensitizes your body desensitizes itself to all this stuff and you know like yeah this is very wild but even with the sign with with the doctor's thing it it, is it it's so weird for history for, for historical doctors to really just want to invade the bodies of women. Oh yeah, absolutely. When it takes like, when a vasectomy takes literally, for example, when a vasectomy takes like like not even that long, a procedure and and it's reversible. Mm-hmm. However, it's like, but what but there's all of this stuff. 
that women must inject and put into their bodies in order for there to be a control over them. And it's just like unbelievable, myself, isn't I'm it? Like, I'm just like to myself, like, just when will it end? Really. But open. So, so obviously, I think I, I don't know if you're purposefully alluding to it or have or um, um, alluding to it, but not necessarily so. But obviously, you know, there's this whole stuff going on in America about the 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 reversal of the abortion laws in America, um, and absolutely, like, there's this. There's I don't. I don't, I don't want to denigrate an entire country because there are obviously, I'm sure, many things about America that are good. But America blows my fucking mind in terms of just the... It just seems very illogical sometimes in the, some of the things that they think are... I don't know. I can't even think, I can't even conceptualize the words that I want to say. It just blows my mind that, and at this very moment in time, in 2022, they want to put in place a law that undoes, you know, that gives safe abortion. No, that gives the states the option yeah. to make it illegal. Yeah. I think, yeah. And they, all roads lead back to the, to the pillar to capitalism exactly. <laughs> like all roads lead back. if you can if you can control the bodies of women who are from a particular class and and race then you can control the workforce and then you can control the amount of money that people will be making you know what i mean like it's just this really weird cycle of like Yes, we've got them. Sort of thing. It's like, what's wrong and, with you? And, no and women are, and women are the, and women are the victims of this. It's their bodies no, they, that are. No, and this is the, this is the thing. Women are the victims of these things. Absolutely, it's their bodies, and it's their bodies that are being policed. But what also in the nature of the way that we talk about patriarchy as well, we exclude men from the conversation. And I think that what because what that does in these states that are more likely to accept or to agree with the yeah. Roe versus Wade decision, those are the same countries that want to get rid of Planned Parenting, yeah. Planned Parenthood. Sorry, they want to get rid of those conversations around critical race theory, the mm. not say gay, all of these different things. They want to get rid of all of those stuff so that children are uneducated about this stuff because ultimately it takes two people to exactly. create a, to create a life, exactly. and if you're not Absolutely. educating boys on sex mm. and then you're not educating girls and sex, you're disempowering them both but obviously it's the woman who is left with the repercussions of yeah. that mm-hmm. and that physical repercussions of that but then the social repercussions both of the both to be a lot more shotgun weddings all of these different things so mm. i think that you know it, it, it's so dangerous to, to exclude boys from this conversation because they need to, they need to know this stuff as well. They need, oh, absolutely, but that's absolutely. So, but but when you're poor, I mean, you're not as educated, and you don't have as much money, and all of this stuff, something get you. And also, I always remember reading the book Free Economics years and years ago, right? Because in that, they talk about how in New York the crime, the crime statistics like tumbled over a few years, and one of the biggest reasons that they attributed this to was legalized abortion. Because those families who weren't able to get access to abortion at the time, those kids never were born and those kids never grew up in this, like in poor neighborhoods, in the hoods and became criminals, right? So Mm -hmm. it's like this 
overturning of this thing, which is like, when you really think about this, this nation of the free and this developed country, like this the most backwards developed country we can really think of in this day and age, like that they, they would think that this would be a good idea. But yeah, so the ramifications of this on a social level are really, it will really ripple out over time, right? Because in these states, it's, and it's always going to be this, the same story, right? It's the, it's the poor people that are going to suffer the most, right? Mm. Because they won't have access to the illegal abortions or they won't have the money to leave state and go to the next state and so forth. And they're the ones that mm. will be policed the hardest. And they're the ones that will have the children and will have to raise them on the, in poverty. And those children will go on to be, I'm not going to make an assumption of what their lives are going to be, but we can look at the statistics that yeah, yeah, exist yeah. about these things. I mean, there's a, so there's, these, a, there's a common trajectory, isn't there? So it's these men sitting in, sitting up there, up the top, these few men, deciding mm-hmm. on the potential future of the people that sit at the bottom of this, this uh, pyramid, mm-hmm. who they have no connection with or understanding of, or don't yeah. really care. They, they're just talking from their very ideological point of view, because this thing will never affect them directly. Ever, no, right? No. If their grandchild gets pregnant, they will fly them to the next state, right? Yeah, exactly. And it will be all hush hush and, and removed, right? Yeah. But the people that will affect, they will never come into contact. There will be zero contact with those people. So they don't care about the issue. They just think about it from the point of view of their ideological values and ideas because they have no tangible kind of feeling for what, mm-hmm. what that actually means in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's yeah, it beggars belief, really. Um, but I guess it's 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 probably one of the most um, tangible kind of examples of, um, I guess the the sort of ideas of the patriarchy and how they you know it's that male dominated ideas about what benefits society or what is good for society that has absolutely no real connection with anything that would actually benefit society and that comes from a place of um either ignorance purposeful ignorance um or just callous don't give they just don't give a fuck really um because they don't need yeah. to they don't, they don't need, need to, to yeah because they, they will Look, we live in a, well, I don't currently live in this country, but in the UK, the prime minister didn't give a fuck about the law. (laughs) He (laughs) didn't give a damn about the law. And what's happened? Nothing. Why? Because the same people who sit around him decide whether he keeps a job or not. Yeah. And those council of people have said, no, he's we're gonna keep him here unless well, like, because he all those fuckers because right. all those fuckers were probably having the party with him. And they're like, Well, if he's gotta go, then I've got to lose my job as well. And actually, I don't want to lose my job. So again, it's that whole sort of self-perpetuating, very insular um, you know, boys' club where they're all protecting themselves. And actually, you know, what what does that what kind of message does that send to the rest of society where somebody who's quite blatantly gone against his own instructions at a time when it was illegal to do so and he's just walked away scot-free I mean no no one's even no one's even fucking talking about it anymore no one you know apart from the fact that I think they maybe are talking about it now because apparently Keir Starmer also had a bit of a did something 
around the same time. I, I don't know. I've only just briefly seen that. Um, but if a woman had done that, well, if Angela Teresa, Rayner. if to Ter- the, Ray, the whole Angela Rayner, yeah, story. the old Angela, yeah, yeah. The, what, the, yeah, uncrossing and crossing her legs, and then that was to, that, just, to that, distract old Boris. What? <laughs> and even there's, there's this um, if you listen to Revisionist History, uh, the podcast by Malcolm Gladwell, um, there's an episode. I will have to send you the link, Daniel, so you can put it in the show notes if you yeah. want to listen. But there was a whole conversation around the Australian Prime Minister, who was a woman. I've completely forgotten what any of their names because there was a there was a competitor there as well, a man who um. And she went through a, a, a shitstorm of like of, of what was going on in Australian Parliament, and she was like, um, you know, they really tore her to shreds just on the basis that she was a woman, yeah. and you know, she did this and she did this viral speech in their in their Parliament, and it just kind of makes you think like just the way it's just ingrained in these systems and then how that informs society and then what that means for the rest of the the way the population is is um it's educated and what that means for us but then you've got new zealand whose parliament is 50 50 men and women so there's just like of course they're a smaller nation but it can happen so it's just like yeah, yeah. you know so ah uh, makes me sick it is um yeah well it's been almost two and a half hours now two well i think two hours and 15 minutes since we started talking Um, went dark literally (laughs) yeah even even david had to get up and turn on his lights halfway through (laughs) because the sun had set um so i think uh so i think we'll we'll end it there and um I guess, uh, I suppose, sorry, before we sign off, do you guys just want to just let the listeners know where they can find you? Um, do you want to plug anything? Um, just kind of, you know, I'll, you know, I'll give you both the opportunity to just say your bit and then we'll sign off. Okay. David, we'll start with you again. Yeah. You can find me at, on Instagram at the authentic man underscore. Um, uh, well, Scott podcast by the name of, the authentic man david chambers you can find me there um yeah that's the best place to find me if you want to know anything about what i'm doing um so yeah alex where can people find you don't you have workshops coming up dude that you want to oh yeah do you want to plug your workshops (laughs) oh yeah i've got a program a men's program um an eight-week program running in june and july um when we're talking a lot about topics that the patriarchy would probably prefer you didn't think about like self-awareness presence love emotions feminine energy um, and healthy leadership um, in your life and your relationships so that's going to be in june and july so yeah just get contact with me if that sounds interesting for you thank you alex where can people find you um go to alexholmes.co um everything's there that you need to that you need to see on me um instagram by alex holmes podcast called time to talk um the book that i wrote was called time to talk how many think about love belonging and connection but literally if you go to the website alexholmes.co it's not a typo it's just i've just decolonized the domain name um 
in, in the actual truth, my name is so popular and common that I can't find things sometimes. So it's just saying really? .co was what it was. But um, .co, alexhomes.co and everything's there. Um, information about coaching, about the book, about the podcast, and um, where you can find me on Instagram and LinkedIn. So I'd say head there. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Thank you very much for your time. And um, yeah, cheers. And there we go. Hopefully that has left you, the listener, with some food for thought and perhaps some kind of understanding of what the patriarchy is, especially if you're a man, and how it impacts women. An obvious caveat to this whole episode is that neither Alex, David or I are women. And because of that, it is highly likely the conversation we had could have taken a different path if we had had a woman involved in the discussion. It is possible that the things discussed could have been different and that different viewpoints could have been offered. However, as noted in the first half of this original chat, I wanted this to be a discussion about the patriarchy by men, so that it is not just women that have to bear the burden of these discussions. Having said that, if there are things missed out, areas not explored, that is possibly why. And I hope you can forgive the three of us for not having gone down those expected routes. Equally, <clears throat> I'm aware that all three of us are open to feedback. And if you couldn't tell from the episode, I'm quite willing to have discussions around this particular topic. Therefore, please feel free to get in touch. Alex and David have given their details of where to find them, and hopefully you know where you can get in touch with me by now. So please, do feel free to get in touch, have a chat, and uh, let us know what you think. Alongside this, if you have enjoyed this episode, please feel free to rate the podcast, subscribe, or recommend it to anyone you think would find value in the conversation. Thanks in advance. And as always, have a good day. Or not. No pressure.